Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hi everyone, I am Tara Williams with the Mom Manual, and I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Katie Page. Hi, Katie. Hi, Tara. How are you today? I am good. I am so excited to be here and get to chat today. It's going to be fun. Thank you. Okay, so your story has gone viral, and it's a good one. For anyone who doesn't know you, can you give a quick background on who you are? Yeah, I am best known. Um, I am a single foster mom and my kids have a really kind of crazy miracle story that has gone viral all over the world and was GMA's top story of 2019. So it's been a wild whirlwind. That, that is crazy. Yes. So Katie is going to give us three takeaways from her wild experience and wild last couple of years. Katie, what are you going to start us off with? First lesson um, would be that sometimes there's a better plan than your plan. I'm a planner, but let me tell you, this is never what I planned, but I couldn't imagine it better. Yes. Okay. And we were just chatting before this, please just launch it and tell your story because it is so amazing and just my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's a crazy one. So I'll try to be brief. It's always hard um, and make sure of it. Um, So essentially um, I found myself what now, almost six years ago. Now, um, I was divorced, trying to like remake my life. Um, I had no kids at the time I had been, I had stepkids when I was married, but I always wanted to be a mom. Um, and I was trying to figure out life and I'd kind of done all those things, but the biggest thing on my bucket list I hadn't done was be a mom. And so I ended up finding through an email, um, an email about foster care. And at that point in time, I'm literally in the midst of renovating this home. I got like floors ripped out, cabinets ripped out, my mom's helping me and, and all of this. And she's like, you want to do what? <laughs> yeah, let's try it. Um, I'm that crazy person. Um, she thought I was absolutely insane, but lo and behold, went to it at this church, found out about it. And over the next year, I kind of continued to work through it and eventually uh, became certified, started that journey. Um, I really was just open to kept saying, whatever's, you know, God's plan, whatever's the plan in the universe, I'm just going to say, whatever I can, you can either just foster or you can foster to adopt. I said, whatever comes right now, I I don't have an intent to adopt, but if it works, maybe. So I continued on, had a couple of placements in there. And then, um, I kind of knew I had a bunch of short-term and I knew I wanted a long-term placement. And so my caseworker called me at the time I had a 12 month old boy, uh, or maybe 14 months at the time. I think he'd been with me about two months, but he was set to leave. And so I said, well, if another placement comes up, I'd really prefer a longer term one. So only a couple of days later, she called me and said, we have a baby that's been abandoned at the hospital. So it's likely to be a foster adopt. Are you open to that? And I was like, okay, like all these babies before it kind of taught me, I can figure this out. It's hard, but I can do it. And longer makes it easier. And Katie, for people don't, who don't know, what does that mean to be abandoned at the hospital? essentially it's kind of like a safe surrender that he was born and about four hours after birth, um, his mother left against medical leave. She just left him and never came back. Um, and the information that she had left 
was not really leading to anybody. They couldn't really find her or do anything in those next couple of days. So was that so, like, she, she literally like snuck out of the hospital or just said like, I'm leaving. She, I think she told him she was leaving and not convinced. They kind of knew that, but they didn't know if she'd still be interested. She was, um, it was a drug exposed baby. So she was on drugs. Um, so I think they kind of try to leave quickly to not get in trouble. Um, and obviously to go back and use again. Um, so, so he was left kind of there and available and they just didn't have a confidence that she could come back, but they didn't have a lot of confidence. She would based on the situation. Um, so I, um, told her, don't call anybody else. Give me five minutes. I'm gonna call my mom. I'm like, how am I going to do this? A 14 month old, plus a brand new exposed baby. Like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I can't do it by myself. And, um, so we started and launched that journey. Uh, my mom flew out and I started figuring out how to take care of these two babies. And eventually the other child went back and was reunited with his family. And, um, we kept searching for answers and looking, but the at the four months old, they terminated her rights, the parents' rights, Jane Doe and John Doe, because it really never turned out to be anybody with their identity. And we set on a journey to adoption. And eventually at 11 months old on the day, I, um, he finally got a name. He'd always been boy. So he became Grayson by the grace of God. I got a son. So I called him Grayson. And, um, so he got a name and he got adopted forever. And then we were just kind of ending, right. And it could have ended there, but (laughs) we were all anxiously planning for his uh, first birthday was going to be an adoption birthday party, this massive party. I was planning. I was busy. I was like, everybody's like, you going to keep fostering. I'm like, I'm good. I think I'll wait till maybe he's 18 months old. I'll do it again. Well, two weeks later, they called me and said, we have an emergency placement. We know it's a long shot, but if you could be willing, um, we really could use your help today um, to take this baby girl. And I said, oh, I'm like, oh, I really promised I wouldn't do this. I shouldn't. I'm overloaded already. I'm, I'm literally in the middle of work, building stuff, um, building a children's hospital. And, but I said, I called my, this, I had a young girl that lived with me at the time kind of, and my mom. And I'm like, I know I said I wouldn't, but I just, God's telling me I was just supposed to say yes. I don't know why, but I should. And so I did, I said, yes, against everybody's <laughs> advice. No, Katie, and, and you say, God is saying, yes. Are you like praying about this? Are you going into meditation on it? Like, like, what are you, it, it was fast. It's not even like you have long as a foster parent. It's pretty quick. Like they're calling a list of people saying, can we find placement? Like they need it within hours. This is like one o'clock in the afternoon. They're looking to show up. Like they're headed to go pick her up. Can we go bring her to you? That's how quick this is. And that decision, Um, that is not like, she's going to stay with you for the night. That's like, you're going to take her until we find permanent placement. Yes. Basically you're, it's an unknown time frame that you're going to keep them. Yes. You don't know what that looks like. Um, you're, you're just saying, yes, you don't really know a lot about them. They don't know a lot. Um, and so, but I was kind of used to that cause I'd taken some, again, she was probably my fifth placement. And okay. so I'd taken some, so I had an idea and I'm like, well, she's born at the same hospital as Grayson was. She's same exposure, pretty much the same days old. I'm like, I've done this before. I can, I can do this. I'm like, yeah, be confident in myself. Really, I was terrified. Um, but ultimately I did say yes and like packed up, ran home. Um, because literally she was delivered by five o'clock that night um to my house. Um, so I had like the girl lived with me. I'm like, you go get Grayson. I'm going here. My church group is helping me. Like, they're like, I just wrote, I'm like, I'm leaving. I don't even know what I need, but I need help. They're bringing diapers and food. Um, 
which is part of my other kind of hints to people is I started to learn as I took more on that I needed a village of people around me to help make this happen because these start turnarounds, you're not expecting it. Yes, I had a lot. I didn't have baby girl clothes within hours of just letting my kind of community of women around me know through my church, they started showing up with stuff and they love babies. <laughs> they love helping and who gets to hold it. And usually I'm not even the first to feed the baby. Somebody else feeds them. Cause I'm just in a frenzy of trying to settle. <laughs> and I think that's such an important, important takeaway. And honestly, like I feel like on all these podcasts we do, it's very common that it takes a village is a takeaway. And oftentimes we see things on social media. I mean, somebody might even look at your social media and be like, oh my goodness, she's fostering all these kids. She's adopting kids. There's special needs component. It's just her and she's single and it like, she's Wonder Woman. But really, if we take a step back and we look behind the scenes, there's always a village of people. Can you tell us really quickly, you mentioned church and your mom is involved in helping. What, what does your village look like? Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. My church has probably been the most consistent through my women's group and my friends there. And that support has always been consistent. My mom helped with Grayson. Um, and she actually had planned to help me with, with, um, the site when that baby came along, it ended up, she couldn't. So I had another friend from church in my women's group who stepped up and watched her during the day for me. Cause I couldn't get her in daycare immediately. She's too young. Yeah. Um, so I have friends that do that. I had a friend that lived with me. I have had boyfriends kind of off and on, um, throughout this process behind the scenes, kind of helping in different ways. Um, and different, I've had everything from, a, a like at first I was using in-home daycares that I would take the kids to. Then I got an au pair for a living for a year. Yeah. Um, which was also supplement. I usually had to supplement because all these kids require therapy. So a lot of their needs can't be met if you send them off to a daycare, which is ultimately- you are working full-time also. Always. I never got time off. You don't get maternity leave. You don't get anything. So if at most, I probably got two days off. Um, very rarely did I ever get an extended period of time to take care of these kids, which was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to do this while continuing to maintain work. Um, and maintain active construction projects and things in my roles there. So it was wild. (laughs) So I'd have good bosses communicate good work was supportive and helped and understanding um, throughout that process. But it was, it's not a light process. And it's not a calm process. I would never have survived. And I, if you do probably read through my Instagram, you'll see, I post about my nanny and other people. I try to be really clear that I am not doing this alone. I could not and would not. <laughs> I, you know, that's, that's another thing that anytime I have the opportunity to say it, we have um, like, we, we use an agency that's out of the U S but it is essentially an au pair. So we have a young woman who lives in our home and I have four kids. Um, none of them have special needs, um, but it is still a full time. She works 45 hours a week and she lives in our house. And so I, I think, again, a lot of people look at what I do and they're like, oh my gosh, you, and for, for the first two years of my business, I did not have help and it was really hard. But now that I do have help, it's like, I can focus on that. She can help with the kids during the day. So yes, village is so necessary. So going back to this story. So now um, Grayson is over a year, just over a year, 11 months. He's not even quite a year, not even quite a year. year. And now you have a new baby girl in the house. Yep. Brand new baby. Then here's where the story is. (laughs) This is where we go viral. Um, when she comes to me, um, I start to, they, they usually pick up the kids from the hospital, but this time they brought her to me because of the time they needed to get her out. And I was down, I was an hour away from home where I worked. And so they brought her and I start looking and they're telling me, and I'm, I'm realizing all the similarities in the case that they are again, drug exposed, same drugs, same hospital, similar age, 
Um, this time though, the mom had wanted to stay engaged. Um, and so I knew that was a little different. So I knew it wasn't at this point, they were like, probably not likely to adopt, but maybe we don't know. And I can see on her bracelet, they had left her medical bracelet. And I recognize this name on it um, because the name is the same first name as Grayson's mom. And I had searched that name. I had desperately wanted to give him answers. And I don't think that's always the the connotation with adoption. Some people want to kind of write off the history or or don't, it's closed and it's private, which is each their own choice. For me, I just... I remembered actually being in foster care training and this woman coming in, it was an, it was an actual foster parent to give us info and saying her heartbreaking story. And I remember crying in training as she said, I had to show up to this termination hearing. And I just was so distraught as nobody showed up to fight against him. They terminated his rights. And all you have is all he could be told is that nobody showed up. And I knew, and that was the day I lived that day where I went and adopted my baby boy and nobody showed up. I had nothing to tell him, nowhere to connect him. Um, and I just felt bad that one day he would wonder that I wouldn't, not that I wouldn't be enough. He would know mom, but I feel like it's likely he could wonder and I wouldn't have a good answer. Um, so and I'd been searching for her. For people who it. aren't familiar, what you said, nobody showed up. Is it typically a grandparent or like who, who would show up? Usually you would, if parents were fighting for them, the parents parent would show up. It would be a court date in which they lose their rights um, if they're active and which would be a sad day either way. Don't get me wrong. Um, terminating parents' rights is a terrible day in court, no matter which way it goes. I had just hoped some of them terminate and they might even have a good relationship with the adoptive parent. They just have realized they can't get there and their child would be better somewhere else. Some it's removed by just purely the court has to make a hard decision. Variety of reasons. Either way, I, none of them are great. I can't say anything good about a termination hearing other than it's a point at which finally there's a movement forward, I guess. So it was a good day in that it meant we could move forward and give Grayson a name and, and all those things. He would no longer be baby boy. And, and he could, he could have a life. 11 months of his life. You called him baby boy. I did call him Grayson, but legally it was boy everywhere. We went to the doctor airplanes. People would look at it when you fly with him, what boy. And I'm like, you had to, he couldn't really have an identity legally. And it was just like Jane Doe, they call him baby boy. Literally that was his name. Um, that, that was a, a sad day for the mom, but a victory, if you will, for you now, now you can, you can give him a name, you know, he's with you forever. There's no chance after that day that he's removed. Essentially there's some more legalities to that in some time periods, but yes, essentially we move forward. Um, and she never, obviously she was gone. So she never fought it. You can't appeal it some cases and that does happen. Um, but this case, it wasn't, she was, she'd never come back. Never, never a word. So we were, we thought at that day, we'd never hear it back, but I was very aware of her information because I kept searching for her yeah. hoping. Um, and so when I saw that name, I, it was very familiar. And then I just was sitting there and we were doing dinner and the girl that was living with me is helping me. I was, we're trying to do it. And I'm trying to read through the paper just to familiarize myself with what's going on. Cause it was quick. They were only in my home for 15 minutes and hand you the baby. And I read a date the mother's date of birth happened to also be in that file and on it. And I, it clicked to me and I thought, God, that looks familiar. That something's not right about that. And I had the, um, Ashley, my roommate at the time, I said, can I, can you watch the babies? I'll be right back. And I went and got Grayson's paperwork and saw that the date of birth for the mom, for his mom and her mom were one day apart. And I'm like, there is something is not right about this. Well, like I just, just no way it's too coincidental, right? In my gut, there's something wrong. I start texting his caseworker Grayson's and said, you know, she's like, we want to work together again. I hope we work together in the future. I was like, you need to get this case. because Something's not right. Something's just not fitting well with me. I think. And I said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, 
but I think somehow these kids might be related. And I know that sounds crazy. She's like, what? <laughs> they all thought I'm my caseworker, the baby's caseworker. Everybody thinks I'm insane. But wait, like, why would no. they think that's, why would they think that would be crazy? Cause it's just never like, they had no clue. They, there was no guess of who this baby was, that she was connected. Like it would be for it to then happen and get in my home by rare chance. I mean, that's the miracle of this is that, um, I guess I haven't really yet, but you're starting to see where I'm going. Um, that ultimately our siblings, that this baby had been placed by all miracles in my home, no intention of it. Nobody had a clue. They legitimately thought I was crazy. Um, so crazy that I ultimately got a DNA test to try to help prove it. To give listeners a perspective of how unlikely this is, how many babies are in the foster system where you live? Like, what are the odds of this? I think it just locally, there's over 2000 of children in foster care. I don't know how many are specifically babies, um, but there's, 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 there's over 2000 usually in the system and only like, and there's probably about a thousand foster homes. And babies are so easy to place. It's not even like they're hard to place. They, they could have easily found another home if they kept calling and found somebody else to take her. And even then I was not really, I was open, but I wasn't really open to taking a placement. Cause I kind of said to my, my case were knew where I was at. So it, the chances that I got called and that I accepted it, I had promised I wouldn't. Um, but something in my gut kept telling me, it's kind of those things I've never believed in, like People say they hear things or they feel this intuition to do things. I had never really had that experience before this one um, of just feeling like something was calling me to something. You say you have a calling. I'm like, what does that mean? That sounds so silly. But I felt it in that moment. Everything that kept telling me not to do it, that this is not the right plan. I'm a very, I'm a type one Enneagram. I am a planner responsibility. I like things the way I like them in order. This was the crazy that wasn't what I (laughs) wasn't my plan. It wasn't what I thought, but I kept saying yes. And that, and ultimately it kept revealing why the yes. Um, it, I kept seeing it and kept knowing it. So, so when, yeah, kind when of, did you know for sure that they were siblings? So I started making calls that day. Like, I think she came to me on a Monday or Tuesday. I have to look back at the specific calendar. And then I kept, so the next day I called and said, how many babies I started figuring out. I didn't even know you could have babies that quick. I'm like, can you have them 11 months apart? (laughs) Like, is that physically possible? And so I'm starting to reveal, I'm starting to ask how many children are there? There's more kids in the system. There were more babies before her um, that had been adopted out. And so I started asking ages. I started kind of pushing a limit. I was like, I don't know how much you can tell me, but, and I don't want to overdo my limit, but I'm trying, I know y'all think I'm weird, but I want to know. And the more I kept reading, it was possible. It was possible. And then that Friday, the end of the week, I remember they said, she wants a visit. Are you willing to meet her? The mother and, and the mother. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Okay. And I said, yep. And I was terrified. I remember riding up in that elevator still that day, just shaking and like wondering, was I going to see this woman? Because my children, you have to realize my son is he, they're all the children are biracial, but he's half black. So he's, he's pretty dark um, skinned. He's got curly, dark hair. This baby is, is very white, very um, pale skin, reddish, straight hair. They don't look a lot at first glance, there were some features on their body that were similar, um, that made me also believe that there's a chance. Um, but I'm wondering what this woman's going to look like and hoping that's going to give me an answer. And so I, I come up off the elevator. There's only like two people in the waiting room and I think I see her, but I'm trying not to be awkward (laughs) and like stare down women and they come out and they introduce us. And it is the woman I thought. And as soon as I look her in the eye, she looked far more like my son than anything like the baby girl. And I knew that was probably the first moment that I said, 
oh, this is, this is my son's mom who I never thought I would meet. I never in two weeks before crying in a courtroom, adopting him, had no clue that I'd be standing in front of this woman two weeks later, three weeks later, probably at this point, because I had her about a week. Does she know at this point that you have Grayson? To this date, she does not know to me. I don't think she knows. Um, And there's more to that story, but I, I've never physically um, told her and never have I confirmed that she knows. So I don't know that she even knows I still have all of them today. So in that moment, I wanted to tell her because I was pretty sure. And then we we go back and, and it, that's probably when when we go back into the room, they do icebreakers and I get to ask her, oh, how many kids do you have? And I knew what the caseworkers had said was on file and there was one missing. And I said, oh, how many boys and how many girls? And I knew what the case said. The boy was missing. And I, and so she kind of started to reveal it. I was like, this is it. This is, this is their mom. I can see him in her. I, she's giving me the numbers. She's missing a boy. Time frame is making sense. And she also, and I'm like, yeah, I just, I have another boy at home that I adopted. Yeah. And I, I just kind of wait. Okay. So she has, how many kids total does she have at that point in time? She had six and she, she did County told me they knew of five at that point. So there were the four older siblings were with her or you said with another, she had no possession of none of her children. She still to this day has no custody of her. All her children have been removed. So she is aware that four were with somebody. And then when you say missing, what, what does that mean? Well, it was unaccounted for with the County. The County usually knows it keeps track of these cases and there was a baby they had not accounted for. Was that, that they had five and not, yeah, basically essentially because she'd abandoned him and not given, she'd given false information to the hospital. They'd never connected Grayson back to the kids. So that was her number five. She had in her head number six, you know, that was her fifth baby. She's telling me there's six. The County's telling me we only have five on record. And so they had missed Grayson. Um, oh my he was actually, he was the latest and they had lost him because she gave false information, which ultimately so I find out that day, ultimately the next week I go to a doctor's appointment with her as well. Um, and she tells me a bit more of her story. I have to call, I tell the pediatrician I'm coming, I'm bringing the baby in for a thing. I'm not bringing Grace in. We're not saying anything. I tell her what's going on, but I said, this may be our only point. And he's got major medical needs. And so I said, I want you to find out whatever you can medical history that you can to help us to treat him, to help us know what we're getting into in the future. So I had to warn the doctor. She was wonderful. And, and we hear her story that day, which was terrifying. Um, what she told me that day at the doctor is what prevented me from ever telling her who he was, that I had her son. Um, do you think if she had seen him, she would recognize him? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we prevented her from seeing him that as we proceeded, I was pretty open to her at first. And then knowing it wasn't her, I was worried about. It was the the company that she kept Mm -hmm. and she hid that and left him to save his life, essentially to protect him. And so I did not reveal to her who he was. She pulls up pictures of things that she showed me that day um, were very scary. Um, It gave me a lot more insight into the future. It gave me a lot of insight into um, at the time it was Zoe, um, Hannah, my daughter, Hannah's parent, her biological father, all these things and where she had been, what her life had been like up until that point, I, I better understood why she did what she did. And so we, we did keep it secret. We started to exchange differently. They would keep her away from my car so that she would not see in. Um, it was a lot of, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. Cause in, if you work in the foster care system, there's a lot of changeover, a lack of attention to some things at times. It's just what happens. There's a lot of kids in the system. Um, so it was a lot of work to protect her and it got so dangerous that my family felt I should actually send this baby back that I should 
I had adopted Grayson's your son. You need to protect him. You need to send her off. But I could never send her off. I could never abandon her like that. We just kept fighting through it. Um, and eventually we kind of got lucky. She eventually disappeared. Um, so, so your family wanted you to send back your second daughter, mm-hmm. my daughter, my second child they for fear of great. What would happen to Grayson? If his identity was revealed, what might happen to him? Um, they do not share my two children. Most of them, um, there's more children now, but Hannah and Grayson do not share the same father. Okay. And so it was a danger between those. Between the dads. Between. Yeah. Essentially the, they, essentially they're not the same dad and that Hannah's father would not be that, that baby needed to get, be gotten rid of. Grayson was not his child and he needed to be, be gotten rid of. Oh, okay. So with, with the mom is, is the dad all the same except for Grayson? Yes. Well, for most of the, not all her six children, but most of them, the ones that I know of, and we have contact with today. Yes. They have a lot of children together. Yeah. They have a lot together. I see. So it's kind of drama filled. So yeah. I'm trying to like put together the pieces and I think I'm coming up with what you're saying, but I'm assuming you can't say it exactly. I try not to say all of it. That's probably more than I've mostly revealed, but there's danger between it. It's not terrible. We know more now, but it was scary at the time. Um, yeah. And so, cause we wonder, why does she not know? Does she know? Is she happy? You have this home and the children are together. And I'm like, we just, it was a, a point at which it was, it was safest not to reveal. And the part of me wanted to reveal at the moment I saw her, like, it's such a miracle that I have your, your child and, and um, like your kids are going to have each other. Yes. No, that's like the miracle of all of it is that it could have been a terrible and not a terrible ending. Again, my, it's not like my son wasn't going to have a great life. Um, I would do anything for him, but it, it just wasn't what I hoped for him. I wanted him to have more and to have a sister was truly a dream come true to see them bond and watch them bond today. Their bond is you, you see it in, in them and it's just, it's an amazing connection that they have. Um, and it's now connected us to other siblings. Um, eventually through, through Hannah, we found that there were other siblings and other family involved. So we got to learn more and realize that there was a greater network, that there was a better story coming and a better opportunity for his life and that family to be than other than just, you got left and there was no one that came fighting for you. Wow. That, oh my gosh, this whole conversation, I have been like holding back tears I, I can't even imagine just the up and down roller coaster of just a straight adoption. And then you add in all these other unusual elements, danger elements, visitation elements. So the Hannah and Grayson's mom, did, did you have, was it like every week you met her at once a month? Like what did, what did that I think look like? It was twice a week for about four months. Wow. Twice a week she would visit, she would and, engage. And she what, was sweet. Yeah. What, what's happening during those visits or what's the intent? They're trying to connect and reunify. They, they try to give her time to connect because the point at, at that point in time, there was still a hope for reunification that she would be able, she really wanted to stay engaged um, and take care of, of her. Um, and so they were giving her opportunity. Meanwhile, she's supposed to be going through rehab and kind of doing what she needs to, to get clean and get to the ability to take her. Um, and she was progressing for a while. Well, with that, um, dad was out of the picture and eventually about four months. And so she did pretty well for up to four months, but things started to trail off. And at about four months, um, she disappeared again and went away, which was hard to see, but ultimately it, it's kind of crazy because all this is going on. They're also saying there's other family members, right? But they won't reveal to the family there. They have to go all different options for adoption. 
And mine is closed. And until I reveal my data and put that public, I could not adopt her. So they have to be pursuing other families. And I wouldn't reveal it because I would have to reveal in court which mom shows up to. And I would have to tell her and I would risk his safety. So ultimately, when she finally went away, I was safe enough. I felt it was a risk still, but I felt safe enough to reveal it, which then put me at the top of the list to adopt her. So if I didn't reveal it, ultimately, I had an attorney trying to balance that of if she kept staying engaged, I risked the point of either losing Hannah or risking the identity of my son. And so it was a really tough thing. This other family's trying to adopt, not understanding what's going on. So it's pushing. So ultimately, when she left, it allowed me to reveal it and allowed the court to recognize it and put me at the top of the list because I had two siblings raised together. They won't separate. If two siblings have been raised in a home, if there's an option to keep them together, that is like number one priority for all adoption. That's a big win. So this family in Florida has her four older children. They have two, only two, two of her, two of her oldest are kind of off somewhere else, different dad, different one, but the two that in Florida are the same dad of Hannah. Of Hannah. And they really wanted Hannah. They really wanted her. Uh, They did. They fought hard. They really wanted her. Ultimately, they kind of realized they they never came in town. They never met her, but they wanted her and and they knew something must have been going on. That was when they realized. And I guess now we know now because we're connected that that's when they started to realize there was another baby boy and they started to figure out the picture of what was happening. Um, And so they fought through that. But I ultimately won and and, and had her. Um, And before I even adopted her. Um, 13 months after she arrived, another arrived, uh, <laughs> same mom, same mom. I'm and at work, dad? not expecting it. Same mom and dad, they gave false information again, but thankfully like he was set to go to a different foster home, but the caseworker did enough work and ultimately figured it out and called me last minute. And again, I had to leave work and go running. I said, I'll be there. I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but I'm coming. Um, and so we went running uh, to go pick him up from the hospital and get him. And again, they were already engaged. The other family was interested again. So that was a little bit more of a stronger battle the next time, but because they have two with the same parents, you have two different dad, but same, same mom, second child, same mom, same dad. Okay. And so then what happened next? (laughs) So, um, I take him, which is crazy. So this, I'll go back to the, it takes a village at this point. I had finally decided to bring the kids home and bring an au pair in the home, but the au pair can't watch a baby under than three months. So now I have an au pair living with me. I have Ashley, my roommate still living with me, but I now have, and and the two kids. So there's three adult women, two children. Um, Now we're introducing a third baby. My best friend from San Francisco flies in and lives with me for three months to take care of this baby. So I've got four adult women (laughs) in my home, three babies, cramming all in this house, trying to make it happen. So again, village, don't, don't mistake that. Don't just think I'm there by myself with three babies. And now, <laughs> a village. I, I think this is really important to note. I I'm assuming all three of these babies are born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, so they're luckily as much as, um, they, the drug that they were exposed to, um, is a methamphetamine. And so it's actually one of the least addictive. If you can pick a drug, the doctor said, this is actually not a bad one because that's why I took them all home at, um, three, four five days old. And so we take them home and there's a little bit of shaking in those things. So as far as like exposure and, um, withdrawal, withdrawal symptoms are minimal. Does that mean that the effects of them, of their body are less? No, they do have strong effects long-term. Um, all my children are still special needs, developmentally delayed. At this point we have autism diagnoses. We're still working on, are there intellectual delays? There's a lot. They have 
many, many specialists. So it's still a long battle, but at least the withdrawal period and getting them out is quicker, but the feeding issue, the feeding challenges, things like that. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Wow. So one thing with, with Dreamland Baby and our weighted sleep sacks, we actually are in NICUs all across the country and they do use them for babies who are, are born with NAS. Um, and I guess I didn't, I didn't know specifically, which I think opioids might be the worst, maybe. Opioids is bad. From. So that's, um, you know, it's just incredible. Like before, um, you know, it, it used to be just get them on methadone, keep them in the hospital for several months. And, and now the whole healthcare system is really moving towards something called eat console, eat console. Oh, what's the third eat console. Do you know what it is? It's like eat console connect or something like that. I can't believe I can't think of it, but anyways, um, they basically it's looking for non-pharmacological solutions. So that's where our weighted blankets come in because they help the baby calm down. They help them sleep. Like it's really, a for those babies who are withdrawing, it, it's like, it's like a godsend. It helps infants who are not exposed sleep and calm down, right? So it's just so much elevated with those infants who are exposed. All babies, all my children suffer from sensory disorders. Um, they all have those challenges. Even today at four, Hannah sleeps with a, um, a compression sheet around her bed. We've used weighted blankets. We have um, wraps that can brought anything like that. Um, we love anything weighted like that. They have weighted pillow, um, puppy dogs. They can sit on their lap. We still today, all sorts of sensory babies using and getting them to sleep. Um, that weight, that tightness, that comfort is extremely important for them for sure. Yeah. yeah. So how are you now managing? You have three kids super close in age and they're all having special needs, additional services. You're working full-time single mom. You have yeah. A, a whole group of people, but emotionally, like the toll on you must be just astronomical with all, like, how are you managing yourself? That's been a long and challenging road. <laughs> I would say I've even been struggling with it up to this week. I'm right now I'm, you know, in this time period, I'm taking some time away from work, trying to balance as we try to get them in school. We're now, we were in a heavy therapies. We've done in-home therapies. We've done all sorts of things. So juggling that we now have a full-time nanny instead of an au pair. Um, so we just have one that comes in during the day. Who's, who is like a superhero. Um, we also are fostering another infant. Uh, we foster teens. We've continued on with our foster care journey. We've not stopped. Um, so we've had two uh, since adopting the third one, we've have two other infants and a teenager. So we've continued on. Um, so it has been an emotional roller coaster. Um, I've had old relationships. I've broken up. I've had new, um, it's, it's been a toll to figure out how to, to find time for myself. Um, we bought a new home, finding space for myself. Um, I kind of ended up getting a bigger home, finding where I quietness and Haven, um, finding time to work out has been a more recent one. I really, as an Enneagram one need that release. Um, so it's a constant journey, but I have to realize that um, like right now we're in transition, trying to get in schools, getting all the kids now are going to your preschool or kindergarten first year uh, before it's only been Grayson this year, all of them starting next week, Hannah will go. So we'll have all three kids, same school, but all different times, one in morning preschool, one in afternoon, oh, one in all day. Um, the dry, the nanny is a full transporter. Um, so I just have to kind of, again, continue to check in with myself and realize there's a hundred different therapies I could giving specialists right now. We're actually backing down on a lot of therapy, which is hard. We've had some of these therapists with us for four years, yeah. five years almost. Um, so I just have to kind of cut and paste and say what works for us and not listen to what everybody else is telling me I should do or could do. 
and really keep checking in with what works for us and what works for our family. What is the right thing for our family? Um, we are coming to a place actually, which is going to be a hard one. The baby that's with us now, we are coming to a place of ending foster care. Um, it's a switch in a journey. It's a hard one, um, but I'm in a new relationship, which is going really well, but he also has a four and five-year-old. So we're going to have right now we have six kids between us, five and under. Wow. And so we've just, um, and he's really was concerned. As I said, I'm going to stop this journey with foster care, but I'm, but now I'm kind of, again, saying what's, What's the long-term for me, for my kids that we want? And ultimately, if I keep the chaos going and the, <laughs> the, all the kids, it's reached a point that I say, now we want to settle in. I want to get a dad for them. I want to have a family. Like we want to focus on their needs are reaching something that's so high that I have to go. I can't handle all that. So I need to let go of foster care and focus in on what we have in front of us and focus in on their needs. So it's kind of a constant reevaluating and saying, it's okay to let it go. It is okay. And today I need to focus on me and, and let that go. Um, if I don't take care of me, there is no way I manage our calendars are crazy. Never is it adult day. It's never going to get, it's never going to stop. <laughs> it's never going to be an easy day. So I have to find time to just prioritize, make time for my gym time. I got a trainer to help me hold accountable. Is that the cheapest thing? Is that the less stressful? No, but it's what I need to help me be accountable to feeling good, to having energy to take care and, and just learning to let it go, which is not easy for a type one <laughs> for those that are out there, moms I, that are type I, A perfectionist. No, I'm, to- I'm with you. I'm, I'm totally with you. So, um, Katie's third takeaway is you can't be the mom you want to be if you don't take care of your own needs. And I, it's just, again, it can't be more true. It's another thing we constantly hear on these podcast is as moms, we try to do it all. We try to juggle it all. And then we leave ourselves with nothing. Um, I love that it talks about your cup. Like if your cup isn't full, like you have nothing to pour out and give. And so when our cup gets empty, it's, we're just draining ourselves all the way down. So, okay, Katie, your story is so amazing. So you have the three children with the same mom. You now have a boyfriend who has two kids. So you're at five. Is that are we staying at five? So no more foster, no more adoption or probably not. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. that is part of the reason we're also, I, we, we have agreed that if it works out as we hope, as we both hope, um, no, I have always wanted to have a baby of my own and he's in agreement with that. He's one of, um, a lot of kids, okay. <laughs> 11 kids. Wow. So he is okay with big family and big kids. And so we kind of said, that's part of the reason we chose that, um, we won't adopt another that we'll stop the foster care journey. And if there's a six, I kind of put the cap at six, but I am highly, unfortunately likely for twins because of some of my fertility issues, oh my <laughs> but he said, I'm cool with twins too. So I'm like, all right. Okay. So, so it could be six or seven. Okay. So no more adoption, seven. potential biological children, God willing. Yep. Wow. Katie, you have <laughs> such an amazing story. And I, I have such a heart for adoption. I know somebody local and I watched some, it's, it's just, it's a very foster to adopt. It's a very, I think people don't really understand it. They, they don't know what it takes, the emotional toll on the family, on the parent. Um, I, I can't imagine, you know, with Hannah meeting her mom every two weeks and just driving and sitting there while she's with her baby and th- wondering, will Hannah, will, be, will this be the last day I see Hannah? You know, or will she come home with me? There's so many what ifs. Um, and it's just, you're such a special person to do this. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Of course. It's a pleasure. It's always fun to share. I love it. <laughs> and Katie, you are documenting your story on social media. If people want to find you, where, where can they follow along? 
Yes, we're, we're working to do better some days. And again, some days we share better than others, um, but we're always continuing on at, um, at Wood and Grace blog is our Instagram. I also have a, a Wood and Grace YouTube. Mostly if you start at Instagram, you'll find us. I have a website that I share some stuff on. I try to share my links, my favorite mom stuff that I, I feel like I've learned a lot of tricks of items that work or don't work um, with how many babies we've had. Um, but in YouTube, we're trying to do a little bit better job because I am I love to tell the story and you can't always tell it fully on Instagram. So um, YouTube is a great place. If you want, again, more info about this story, I do like a 30 minute video <laughs> to telling it all. Um, so yeah, usually, but start with my Insta. You'll find the links to everything. Wood and Grace blog. Okay. And I, I don't know if you know, but we do have weighted blankets. Yes. So I am going to hook your family up because they're amazing. And I would love to get your, your little guys and little girls, some way to like it. So after, after the call, we'll, we'll send those over. Um, and we have a super fast lightning round if you're down for that. So just okay. whatever is on the top of your head, you can answer. It's, it's not stressful. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So what are you currently binging on TV? Um, station 19. It's like an off take of Grey's Anatomy. Some of the characters cross over. That's okay. what I'm watching late at night. Okay. <laughs> And what's the most recent book you've read? Oh gosh, I don't even have time to read. To be honest, okay, I don't I, even have time. I mean, like a million kids, probably not. So, what's on your bedside table? What I do have some. I have the um, Rachel. Um, her stop apologizing. I have. Oh, that Rachel one. Willis. Yes, yes, that is the one that I keep sitting there to read. Um, kind of again, stop apologizing for what you want, and going for all of it, and life is crazy. So that is what I'm sitting there that I keep hoping to read. Usually, if I'm not, um, my Jesus calling. I read, I read that. I did like that. Okay, like it? you have all these kids, million people helping, million jobs, all the things. What is your? Do you have a, like a productivity app or some management app that you use? Oh, we have lots. Um, but I would say the two we're just changing. Um, the Cozy app, C O Z I. Yes, I love it. It works with my Alexa, so we tell her to order groceries and things like that. Um, and it used to manage our calendar. Now we have it such crazy because um, I'm also trying to get my boyfriend's kids' calendars and all that. So we're using Google Calendar, which is amazing. But other than that, for family stuff, Cozy is fantastic. We have lists, to do lists, honey do lists. Everything is in that app, and you can reach it from anywhere. And it's, I think it's free. You're the second person that's told me about that. I, I definitely have to look into that. And then what is, you share this a little bit, but what's your go-to de-stressor? Like if you have a few hours to yourself, like what are you doing? Recently, it's been the gym. If it's not that, if it does at night, sometimes late at night, I just get in the bath. I get my like station 19, my, I get my iPad out, stick it out, get in a bubble bath and just take a minute to chill and drink wine. Or I actually like whiskey. I'm one of those whiskey girls. So I'll just take a little drink. Kids go to bed. It's my quiet time. Um, that's that I can always, I can't make an excuse for. I have time for that. The gym, I find a little more time to make an excuse why I can't go. <laughs> I, I love it. Katie, thank you again. This was so, such a great, um, podcast. Everyone is going to absolutely love it and want to follow you. Um, thank you for coming on today. We really appreciate your time. It's been such a blast. Thanks. <laughs>